Well, welcome. This is John Murtha coming to you from WNZN Radio from Lorain, Ohio. Glad you tuned in one more time ahead as we head into the spring weather. It's uh, it's good to see winters on the yes. in the rearview mirror, David. A little bit. It's a beautiful day here. <laughs> a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, this is eighty nine point one FM radio. And if you're having any problems, any static or weak signal, you I, what I do is just go to my iPad, I live stream, or I go to Alexa. And we get a very clear uh, signal and very good uh, sound. So, uh, once again, I'm, I'm in the studio with my good friend David Abood. Good to have you, David. Yeah, great to be here, John. And as promised, you know, we've had a lot of interesting shows at the first oh, of yeah. the year. You know, and we've interviewed all kinds of different ministries from Fellowship of Christian Athletes for the Outreach of Ghana. And then in South Africa, that was a great uh, that interview was we had. Great missionary. Yeah. Uh, so we've been the, really been uh, awesome. Yeah. Going around the world, and that's that'll be the case today. Uh, somebody I met recently on my trip to Thailand is just an incredible trip. I shared with you, David, yeah. and you also had some of the coffee, which we're going to talk about yes. later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Thai coffee. Uh, so I met uh, Charlie Milbrook, and. Um, who has an incredible testimony and story and how he's been involved in that part of the world for the past whew, 35, 40 years or so. And um, I, I really think th- our listeners are going to really like this this interview mm-hmm. and, and the, yeah. the story behind this. So, Charlie, welcome. Welcome to the station. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Good to be good. It's amazing, this miracle of communication. It you is. Know, we could yeah. go these many miles. But, um, Charlie, like I said, it, we, my wife Marie and I had an incredible trip when we were in Thailand, mm-hmm. and Charlie was one of the key guys yeah. to help us get up to the mountains and see some of these churches. He's going to tell a little bit more about this organization that right. literally builds stru- <clears throat> structures, physical structure churches that are now thriving and actually growing mm-hmm. in a part of the world that uh, really is, is coming alive in terms of yes. the gospel and, and right. people coming yeah. to Christ. Yeah. So, Charlie... Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, and maybe you can start wherever you want to start. A good place is at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> how did you, what was, where were you raised, and uh, how was it you came to the Lord mm-hmm. when you accepted Jesus? What was that about? And then we want to transition that into uh, how is it you went to literally the other side of the world? I always tell people you can't go any further around the world than Thailand because it's exactly no. 12,000. Yeah. Right. And yeah. uh, your ministry. Sorry. And uh, so, welcome, Charlie, and just uh, mm-hmm. take it over. Well, thank you, John. I, I am a fellow Buckeye. was born and raised in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, if your listeners are Ohioans, then they know what a Buckeye is. If they're listening from outside of Ohio, that's uh, us Ohio folks. We call ourselves Buckeyes. So. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was raised in Toledo, raised in a non-Christian family, and uh, my coming to Christ was uh, 1977. Uh, unfortunately, I, at that time, had been involved in drugs for about, <clears throat> oh boy, almost 10 years, I guess, at that time, and had, had messed my life up pretty bad. Uh, and had a unique salvation experience. It wasn't through the witness of Christians and didn't ever go to church or anything like that. But I had a personal confrontation with Jesus Christ. I was uh, hitchhiking down I-95, Cocoa Beach exit, saw something shiny on the ground, picked it up. It was a little cross, uh, one of the Catholic crucifixes with a little figure of Jesus on it. And I looked at it, and back in my hippie slang of that day, I looked at it and I said, wow, I wonder if there's anything about this Jesus cat. 
and I put it in my pocket, and it was actually a piece of somebody's necklace that had broken off, and that evening I'd hitchhike, got down to, Mar or not Marathon, I was heading to Marathon, but I uh, got down to Homestead, Florida, uh, pulled stuff out of my pocket, and realized that that little piece of necklace had fastened itself around a key ring I had in my pocket, which could have mm -hmm. only been done with a pair of pliers and all, and oh, it kind of really wow. caught my attention. I said, what? Oh, maybe there is something about this Jesus kid. Oh. Uh, so I knew Jesus. I knew enough to know that Jesus and the Bible went together. So I figured I had to get one of those. I went to a flea market that weekend, bought one for 25 cents, uh, began to read it, and it was making a lot of sense. It was uh, quite a story. And uh, about this uh, God who sent his son to the earth and he uh, died for humankind and then uh, was resurrected from the dead. It was kind of a far-fetched story to me, but it was very intriguing. And uh, about a week or so after that, I had a dream. I was in a pure white room. And uh, over on the table was a, uh, or over in the corner of the room, there was a table uh, with a Bible on it, said Holy Bible, and it just glowed and emanated with streams of like just gold glory coming off of it. It was just a, a sight to behold. Underneath the table was another book I had been reading from, you know, involvement with the Beatles and the different mm -hmm. rock groups that were getting into Eastern mysticism and all. It was the Bhagavad Gita, the Hare Krishna thing. And uh, and under and it was all crumbled up on the floor on, under the table. And then I hear a voice speaking to me. I look to the left. There's a man standing there. And he said, this is the book that God had you. And I look back at that table and that Bible is just beautiful. And I woke up and uh, my heart was racing. And uh, I was kind of like, you know, I, I was... <laughs> I was I was uh, deeply into drugs at that time, so yeah. these uh, supernatural experiences were really shocking me a lot. Uh, anyhow, long story short, I put Jesus to the test. I set up uh, an impossible situation and said, if you can do this, then I know you're for real. And, uh, and I kind of forgot about that, but it all panned out exactly as I laid it out. And when the last thing that I had required took place, I heard a voice on the inside of me saying, you've asked me to reveal myself to you. And at that moment, I don't know how to explain it other than I just had absolute total understanding that Jesus Christ was Lord, even though I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and I didn't know what a sinner's prayer was, uh, but I you know, got back to the place where I was living at that time, and I just got down on my knees and uh, my sinner's prayer was this. I said, Jesus, you are the dude. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I want you to be my God. And and something began to change in me or something changed in me, which I had no idea what it was. I had a lot of crime in my life, a lot of bad things going on at that time. And I about a week or so after that experience, I, I decided I had to run to Canada to be a fugitive because I was, I don't know if it was conviction or condemnation or what, or a, com a combination of it all, but I ran to Canada and was going to be a fugitive there just hiding. 
and uh, and it was up in the Canadian Rockies. I just I would devour the Bible every day, just just read it from morning till night. And it was through the Word of God that I you know began to see what happened to me. I remember reading Ezekiel. He said, "I'll take this uh, heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh, and my laws will be in your heart." And you'll un- and I, I said, "Wow, that's like what happened to me." And then I. I just had a comfort. I, you know, now I can understand that back then I didn't really understand all what was going on, but it was as if God was comforting me and that I didn't have to hide and be a fugitive in a different country. Uh, I could go back to the United States and if I had, and I just knew in my heart that if I had to face the crimes that I had in my life, that uh, God would be with me. He'd take care of me. And uh, so, yeah, so I came back to the States and uh, moved next door to a little a little old granny lady who just became my mentor. Because I didn't go to church for another three and I didn't even know about churches. I didn't know they had churches and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was my journey. Ninth, uh, November 9th of 1980 is when I walked into a church for the first time. Uh, I was set free from drugs and alcohol and all that stuff on that that day. And just been running with Jesus ever since. How, so, uh, Charlie, how old were you then when you actually came to the Lord? Uh, 77, I would have been 23, uh, and I would have been 26 when I first came into church. Okay, so that I, I see what you're saying. Now, um, so what, from that point, why Thailand or ministry in Thailand or Southeast Asia? How did, how did, how did that follow going forward? Well, I met Kathy, my wife. Uh, we met uh, in 1981. We were married at the end of 1981. Uh, we both felt we had a call to missions. Uh, at that time, I did, I'd never met a missionary. I didn't know uh, anything really about missions, although I had a, just a hunger uh, and just a desire in my heart, and my wife Kathy did as well. Uh, we. Lord led us down to a church in South Florida uh, where we got ministerial training uh, for about three, three and a half years or so. Uh, then the steps opened up and uh, we just prayed and Thailand was a country that God put on our hearts even though we didn't know where it was. I jokingly say it's a good thing the pilot knew where he was going because I could have <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So you went over there, but at that time, did you have any children? Or you just went over as a couple. We went with three children. Uh, we had uh, our three daughters at that time, and then we were there for. In the third year, we were there. We found a set of twins up in the mountains. Uh, they were supposed to be murdered uh, at birth because of a crazy superstition of the tribe they're from. Uh, they got out of that situation. They were given over to a drug warlord's operation to be raised for the heroin army. Uh, long story short, uh, we ended up paying $4 each for them, brought them down the hill, uh, down the mountain to find a good home for them. Now, my wife had been praying for twins. I didn't want any more kids. I thought we had plenty already with three daughters. Uh-huh. <laughs> She had actually been praying for twins, so it was an answer to prayer. And uh, so, yeah, the boys are 33 years old now, and they are Milbroats. They're our boys. Uh, one of them runs our coffee business here in Tucson, and uh, Jeremy and his wife uh, serve in Thailand, uh, overseeing our Bible school and the youth group there. 
Well, you know, this story is just so, I don't, I want to yeah, jump in at different places yeah. here, Charlie. So you get into Thailand and you, you kind of choose the north, perhaps the northwest a little. Is that kind of your area of interest or you felt Lord was directing you up in that region? I wouldn't say we had any leadership uh, as from the Lord at that time other than this. Uh, we had met uh, a gentleman uh, one, uh, we didn't realize that he was one of the most prominent ministers in Thailand, uh, Reverend Wirachai Kowei. We met him in the summer of 1986 and uh, shared with him that we were interested in Thailand. And he was in the U.S. ministering at that time. And uh, he said, well, I hear this a lot, but if you ever get there, you know, look me up. And we did look him up, and uh, he was instrumental in getting us our missionary visa slot and all of that. He wanted us uh, to help him in Bangkok, and I wasn't really a big city guy. Uh, so <laughs> I said, listen, at that time, you know, I think Bangkok was about 6 million people, uh, maybe with the unofficially. I mean, the officials probably, or the actual number is probably a bit more than that. But uh, I said, isn't there anywhere in the country we could go that could be a benefit to you, but wouldn't be Bangkok? I said, I, I don't know if I'm quite ready for that size of a city. And uh, so he suggested Chiang Mai, and which we have no clue what Chiang Mai is. It's the largest city. Uh, it's up in the northern area, but uh, kind of got that small town feel to it back then, anyhow. And uh, so that's what, you know, that's what brought us to Chiang Mai. That's what landed us there. So, so you get to Chiang Mai. And then did the doors start opening for ministry to Thai people, to the tribal, or, or how did that kind of unfold for you? Well, we landed in Chiang Mai on January 2nd and opened a Bible training center, uh, training center on January 19th. How all that happened, all I can say, we were a lot younger then and had a lot of zeal. <laughs> <laughs> how did it happen? I mean, yeah. by that time, did you know the language? No, not at all. We, we didn't know. We couldn't even order food at a restaurant. It was terrible. Uh, well, how did you open a trading center? Well, there was a couple that was had been in Thailand for a few years, and they were on their way out, and they were hoping to get somebody to kind of pick up what where they had left off. Okay. But in reality, their work was over in Burma, and uh, they had never really done anything in Thailand, but they helped us get settled into Chiang Mai. And uh, they hired a fella and just went out and dug up 15 students from somewhere. <laughs> they, they were a rough batch, I tell you. Oh, and, uh, and, but, uh, yeah, I'm very young, you know, but uh, we started with that <clears throat> group of 15. And, uh, and the adventure began there. Okay. So, so now, kind of, then the, you have the training center, and then I know... Your ministry kind of unfolded into different areas, different outreaches. How did how did that kind of unfold there, Charlie? Well, we started with the training center. It was just a three month intensive training. We would uh, minister uh, from nine to twelve each morning, then from like one thirty to three thirty in the afternoon. So about four and a half five hours of teaching per day, and we did that for a ninety day period. Uh, and we would encourage the students to go out and evangelize and reach out. And uh, so that first year, we ran three of those 90-day uh, sessions. And uh, we uh, just things began to happen. Uh, there were some miracles that took place that uh, just really launched 
the interest in the ministry, and a lot of people began to come to us and seek us out. Uh, we probably the second year we were there developed a small evangelism team because our our core goal had always been to train up the nationals to you know preach the gospel. Uh-huh. We developed a, I think we had six young men on an evangelism team, and, you know, their wages were about 500 baht back then. What would that have been? That would be 20 bucks a 20 month. 20 bucks, uh-huh, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and, but, and back then they would walk, I mean, they began pioneering villages and uh, sometimes would walk, you know, 50 kilometers in a day to get from one village to the other. Uh, and I remember they used to walk from Hoi Hom village to Gongkai village, which would be 50 kilometers. They'd leave early in the morning, get there in the evening. Uh, Gongkai was one of the early villages we had evangelized. It was a non-Christian village. Uh, we brought many, many people there to Christ and built a church there. And so, yeah, we started with a small evangelism team. Boy. And then that earlier in that third year, we found the set of boys, uh, the twins and, you know, that was kind of an eye-opener because uh, we, or I personally had never considered working with children, mm-hmm. uh, especially with my background. I've come from pretty rough, pretty dark background, and uh, children just wasn't on my radar. But when we found those boys, it was stunning that, you know, somebody could, you know, how could you murder a child, an yeah. infant, it was, yeah. or even just something you can't even can't even take hold of, you know. Yeah. And at the same time, a good friend of ours, uh, Chan Boonmach Piramon, he had picked up some hitchhikers, and they had asked if they didn't know he's a pastor, they asked to be taken to a village where they could procure uh, young women and young men for the prostitution trade. Uh-huh. And him, and we talked about it afterwards, and we just said, man, there's just something we have to do, you know, just, you know, like our eyes were open to the challenges with children. And uh, so he started a children's home up in Shingrai at that time. In addition to the church he was pastoring, uh, we started uh, shortly after that Abundant Life Children's Home, which initially is 22 kids, uh, little children, uh, and a good chunk of them are on our staff today. They're wow. uh, that 30 plus years ago. Now they're. <laughs> Uh, college grads and have their own families, uh, have their own children and are, you know, running a lot of aspects of our ministry here today. Uh, so, yeah, and then wow. through the year, the evangelism team just continued <clears throat> to uh, grow. And uh, then we built our first church and uh, that was planting churches was, uh, you know, just a part of our core vision as well. Right. Uh, that first church, uh, you know, things were in the beginning, very, very slow. Uh, at that time, Thailand was referred to, many call it a missionary's graveyard. Right. Uh, right. I, I could understand that after being there a short time. It, when when was, was that? Was, was that in the late 80s? Uh, correct, okay. yeah, late 80s. Charlie, yeah. okay. for our listeners, can you kind of describe uh, spiritually about Thailand belief system percentile Christian, just get like an overview for people that may not be familiar with that part of the world. Yeah, when we landed there, Thailand was rated at less than one half of a percent Christian. Uh, Buddhism is the national religion. 
uh, and it's interwoven into everything. Uh, they, the statistics say that 95% are Buddhism, 5% are, or, excuse me, 5% were Muslim, and uh, then a half a percent or, you know, four and a half percent Muslim, whatever, but a less than a half a percent Christian. And uh, then in working with the uh, tribal people, we began to realize animism also was a, even though it's not a formal religion, it was a religious belief uh, that mm-hmm. captured many of the people. And in reality, Thai Buddhism isn't a pure Buddhism. It's uh, very much mixed with animism as well. Describe animism, people. Charlie. I'm sorry to interrupt, but describe animism yeah. for our listeners. Animism would be the belief in spirits, evil spirits, and uh, the need to sacrifice the spirits and make offerings to spirits and listen to the spirits of what they're telling you to do and all of that kind of stuff. And usually a village or community would have something like that, would have, a, we would call it a witch doctor, they call it a maw pee, yeah. and uh, a spirit doctor. And that spirit doctor is, you know, in Christian, he'd be like the pastor. Uh, he's supposed to hear from the spirits and then guide the village accordingly. <clears throat> uh, but it's always driving right. the people into poverty. Uh, you know, for years, it began, let me just share this. Yeah. For years, we, or as we began to build churches, we would see a village, tra- we would plant a church there, even though, you know, we'd get a, five or six families as believers and that would start a church. We'd actually build a church building, not just do a home church, but we'd build a church building. And inevitably, once we planted a church, the village would begin to prosper. It would begin to just things began to happen. And I jokingly said many times, I said, you know, it's amazing. Every time we plant a church, it's as if you wave a magic wand over this village and all of a sudden good things start happening. And uh, it was not too many years ago, probably five or six years ago, one of my associates there, he said, well, Charlie said, yeah, I mean, that's how it is, because the reason being is when they're under animism, they're they have to any anything of value they have they have to sacrifice to these demons oh. so they can ice house they can never uh you know if they're raising pigs the spirits are always asking for a sacrifice and oh, they're having to kill their parents and so they're never able to prosper because they're always feeding these you know these demonic spirits and everything and uh, so it's kind of crazy it gets uh you know i, I hate to get into the nitty-gritty of animism because it's, it's a little on the ugly side and the average american might not quite be ready for some of the stories right it's, it's a very yeah. real yeah the spiritual uh warfare that you you were facing in that uh particular part of the world and we just don't uh, get it david you yeah well you know um i'll tell you though charlie uh we've had a lot of missionaries on uh the radio with us on our show talking about some of the things that they faced when they were trying to do good works um, yeah. And if you have any stories there to help build our listeners' faith, um, you know, uh, please, you know, feel free to uh, to talk to us about it. Well, uh, boy, I have to think on that one a little bit. Okay, uh, that's we, fine. One, some of the positives are uh, many times we the actual witch doctor, the local Maltese. Uh, they're 
children are sick or something, and our evangelists will pray for them. And uh, on numerous occasions, we've had, uh, they have made all their sacrifices to the spirits and everything, and nothing has happened. Uh, the Christian pastor or evangelist will pray, and a healing will take place. Uh, that family comes to Christ, and in many cases, the, the spirit doctor ends up becoming the pastor, comes to Bible school, wow. and, uh, and has a great influence of leading the village to Christ. Uh, I, I got a story now, just that one's come up to me here. Sure. Uh, we have a village called uh, Tungpi, which if you understand Thai, it means the village of evil spirits. Okay. The field of evil spirits. Okay. Uh, our evangelists found this village, and at that time, helicopters would come in hmm. and uh, from stations, and they would do these reports because it was the poorest village, uh, I don't know if all of Thailand or, excuse me, of uh, northern Thailand at that time. I, I can't recall the that's specific, but uh, they would take the pictures and put it on national television because the people never bathed. They were just filthy and grubby, and everybody just lived in these shacks. They just uh, lived in uh, very, very poor, you know, yeah. housing and everything. So anyhow, my evangelists come in and they say, "Well, we want to build a church at Tumpi." I said, "Tumpi, that's." Like the, 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 the field of devils, I said, how am I going to sell my partners on building a in the field of devils? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went to the village and uh, met with the, we had a handful of Christians at that time. People had come to Christ. Uh, maybe a quarter of the village at that time had, had come to Christ, come out of animism. And, uh, and I talked to him. I said, listen, I said, and I, and I like to joke a lot, you know, so I, I was talking. I said, I said, you know, name of your village here is uh, Tumpi. I said, you guys like that? Said, well, well, no, we never have really liked it. It's just, but you're born here. What do you, I mean, if you're born in Cleveland, what, you, what are you going to do? It's Cleveland. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. I said, and so I taught on the importance of names, uh, you know, went through the Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, and uh, just the importance of how we recognize stuff. And I made a suggestion. I said, why don't we call this tomb Prapon, which would be the field of God's blessings. Oh, they jumped up and down. They hollered. They just, uh, and in our little circle, we began to call it tomb Prapon. Realize was the head of my evangelism team, he went down to the county office, and he said, listen, we've got a village up here, Tungpi. We want to change the name to Tung Prapon. And the county commissioner says, you know what? We are all for that. We haven't liked that name either. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's great. And, and what does that stand for? They proposed it to, and literally, it was changed on the maps uh, to Tung Prapon, the signs went up and everything, and and it, and it was an official government change wow. that, that the name of this place from the field of evil spirits to the field of God's blessing. Wow! Now, Check that the out. Oh, there, that's awesome. Yeah, and the ringer there is Buddhism. Truthfully, doesn't even have a deity. There is no god in Buddhism. You know, you kind of attain the state of nirvana or whatever, and we're kind of all in that oneness type thing and all that. But uh, so here we've got the government calling a place the field of God's blessings now. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you. And the village transformed, came 100% Christian, literally transformed 
They have nice two-story homes, or well, two stories. The Korean people like to build their house up on stilts and all. John, you saw that yes. we over there in the churches. They like to get them up on, on uh, and they use it underneath for other stuff and all. So anyhow, the uh, we've introduced coffee there, and mm-hmm. they're growing coffee. And we brought a water system in, and, you know, it's just just been amazing to see, you know, what God can do. And It's uh, amazing. It's amazing. Charlie, could, yeah. you mentioned coffee. Could you segue just a little bit and tell us about the coffee production and uh, that whole entrepreneurial move on that, uh, if you would, please? Sure. We, uh, I have to give some credit to, I call him my Chinese father. Uh, his name is Lee Kim Tian. He's a uh, Chinese man from Malaysia. Uh, Kuala Lumpur is where he lives. He's from Sitiawan, Malaysia. Uh, we met him, whew, would have been almost 25 years ago now. And uh, he was a big part in helping us launch our church building program. Hmm. And uh, uh, and through those years, as we he guided us and prodded me, I'd say prodded me more than guided me, pushed me. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's uh, 20 years older than me, a wonderful man. I, I just uh, I just love him with all my heart. But uh, he would say, Charlie, he said, you're not going to be young forever. He says, you got to think ahead. Uh, how will you fund this? As you get older, you're not able to fund this operation. You have to come up with something. So he, every time he'd come once a year and we'd go up, up and down mountains and build churches and he would you know help us find funding for him and stuff but every year okay charlie what's what's the plan what's your you know how you're going to raise income and so we tried all the traditional missionary stuff raised chickens pigs cows frogs whatever else we had i can't remember everything we tried to do and uh finally we settled on coffee uh we saw coffee growing in a village and I knew coffee. I'd seen coffee in uh, Guatemala before. I'd seen coffee in Indonesia. And we saw that coffee plant, and the villager we were with went over and whacked the tree down. And it was full of coffee cherries. And mm, I huh. said, whoa, what are you doing? He said, ah, these things are a pest. They, they're popping up everywhere, and we don't have no use for them. <laughs> and so we thought, well... Uh, and we found out, researched a little bit, found that the king of Thailand, who had passed a few years back, uh, he had introduced coffee probably in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, Arabica uh, coffees, uh, specialty coffees. He had brought it into the highlands of the north. But at that time, there were no roads into the villages. Coffee grew great. Uh, but there was no market for it, and uh, so we had the coffee tested. It actually tested out as a specialty grade coffee. Uh, one step led to the other, and we began to see that that could be a future possibility for funding for the ministry. But even more so, we saw it as an economic development project for these poor rural mm-hmm. families that uh, we had yeah. been helping their children. We care yeah. for almost 700 children wow. and have been doing that years and years and you know after taking care of children for 30 some years you begin to realize the root causes and pretty much it all boiled down to economics Uh, families weren't able to properly support their family uh, and many times through deception and through various means their children were taken off into you know things that were uh, not good and uh, people you know families were losing their children Mm -hmm. and so our 
uh, one of our main purposes of the coffee cultivation project is that families are able to gain dignity, able to you know care for their families. Our children's homes, our orphanages are wonderful, but we're fixing a problem. If you can uh, eliminate a problem from the grassroots level, you're in much better shape. Right. Uh, much better to prevent a problem than to try to fix a problem after it's happened. So. Anyhow, we've uh, launched the, we began cultivating coffee seedlings. Uh, we've now uh, helped over 50 villages. We have right now somewhere over 500 families in 50 plus villages uh, that we've introduced coffee cultivation to. And, uh, and we have wet mills uh, up in the mountains in several locations where we uh, buy the coffee from the farmers well above the what do you call that? The uh, not fair market. What is it? The uh, fair trade. They call it fair trade. Uh, we pay our farmers well, well beyond the fair trade value, and uh, we because you know these are people we've won to Christ first of all, uh, and we built churches in their villages and we introduce them to coffee cultivation and teach them to tithe into their local church. So it's kind of a full circle deal we're yeah, creating. Right self-supported indigenous churches that don't rely on the outside for help and uh and and helping families to get dignity and uh you know care for their own families i had uh, a story i just love to share we was up in Hawaii, where one of the very actually was the first village we actually planted coffee in uh probably 10 12 years ago i guess now well now everybody in the village grows coffee it's one of our areas and uh i was up there and a little old lady a village lady who had never had any education illiterate uh she took me out to her she grabbed them you, when they when they want to show you something they just grab you and pull you along so <laughs> well, she hauled me to her little coffee garden and uh and she just shared she said brother charlie we're so thankful that you brought coffee to our village and uh she said these are my coffee plants she says i have five children uh, she says, uh, four of my first four children never had an education. She says, but my youngest daughter will have a college education wow. because of these coffee trees right here. Oh. And and it was it, it touched me. It's like, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. <clears throat> it was like, you know, I just saw, you know, if you can bring, well, transformation was brought to that family. Uh, transformation is being brought to that village. And it'll never be the same again. Exactly uh, right. College education will now become the goal wow. rather than the exception. Charlie? And, uh, so, yes. Uh, since we're on coffee, and I, like I told you, we ordered your coffee. David's had it and other people. <laughs> can you give our listeners uh, contact information about the uh, ordering the coffee and, and how that helps your <clears throat> ministry and helps these uh, villages sure. as well as the children? Sure. Well, the, the coffee can be ordered at www.mytaicoffee.com. That's M-A-I-T-H-A-I, like Thailand, uh, coffee.com, mytaicoffee.com. And for your listeners and partners to our ministry, we'll even give you a discount. We have uh, the acronym of our ministry, Living Word Ministries International, LWMI. You can use that code at checkout and get 15% off anything at our site. And so, uh, yeah, so we, uh, the 
purpose of the coffee business really is to support the foundation there and the care for children and uh, the advancement of the gospel in Thailand. So the we've never taken a salary off the uh, off the company or anything. The proceeds are used to help the work in Thailand. Uh, as you know, the story I just shared, it's helping farmers uh, right before we even sell the coffee. When we buy the coffee from the farmers, that's helping support churches and all. And then as we sell it, we use the proceeds to help, you know, to support the children and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's a great work. And uh, they can buy the coffee there. We have a full selection of coffee, decaffeinated, flavored coffees, K-cups, uh, <clears throat> it's a, a quite a well-developed coffee company. You know, wow! It's a, it, it really is amazing the variety and the packaging. It's oh, really yeah. attractive packaging. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm really encouraging uh, people uh, to get on board with that and 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 to be more in touch with what, you know the ministry and what you're doing there, Charlie. Uh, it's just a, can you give me a, give me an overview <clears throat> of your ministry today mm-hmm. and some of the. Uh, projects or institutions I, I know some of them but i don't maybe you could just kind of give a, a nice overview of that so we can get a, sure, a better sure. understanding well the core vision of our ministry is train up the nationals to preach the gospel uh we do that uh, the main focus of that is our bible school we have a two-year program and an optional additional two years where they can get a bachelor's degree uh from that we have a evangelism team evangelism church building team or church planting team and uh that has we've done that for years uh well sunday this past sunday we dedicated church number 236 in the nation of we built and dedicated 236 churches right now uh we have eight or nine more projects in that are under construction right now and another 10 applications that are being submitted uh for this coming year uh coming up so the uh, evangelism church plan is going on a continual basis Uh, we have children's home we have three main facilities uh where the children live then we also care for children at the mela refugee camp and uh, we have a daycare there, a couple orphanages there, and a primary school that we operate inside the camp. And we've been doing that. That camp started probably 1996. The refugees came out in 95, and uh, the camp began to grow at that time. Uh, we were involved in it from the very inception of it because we were used to be involved in inside of Burma as well. But uh, so, yeah, that camp is about 50,000 people, and uh, we care for roughly, what, 350, 380, somewhere between 350 and 400 children at that camp. Uh, And then we have the coffee uh, is the operation uh, and other uh, social projects that we do. We do a lot of uh, social outreach projects. We uh, build toilets. We put in water systems. We build homes for orphans, or not orphans, uh, homes for widows, and uh, just you know, very elderly people that are challenged and all. Uh, we do a lot of social type work like that. Uh, we recently uh, were blessed with a eight acre property that was a, and we bought it. It was a small resort, and uh, the owner. Uh, was an American fella married to a Thai lady, 
they had a vision to turn it into a youth camp. Uh, they owned the property for 15 years, but just no, they lived in the U.S., so they weren't really there all the time. Uh, they finally come to realize they would never be able to fulfill that. They sold it to us for a, a decent price, and amazingly, the money came out of nowhere. I mean, God just moved miraculously, about $300,000, which is way up. We didn't have that kind of money in the bank, and uh, but we were able to pay cash for it, and we are now developing that and want to develop it into a youth camp, a seminar uh, facility. Uh, we feel that we can really reach a lot of people in Thailand through that camp. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. Uh, we want to, we already have brought the, or we're in the process right now of bringing the high voltage electric onto the property. Uh, we need to dig a couple wells there, uh, deep, deep wells. We need to drill, not dig, but we need to drill a couple deep wells. Uh, that's our next project on the list for the property, the water filtration system and the wells. We have it being excavated right now. I just saw the videos and pictures last night. They have uh, finished off the area for the soccer field, uh, which in Thailand is a big deal. you got to have soccer fields right. the center of everything. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So, we had a small area, but we, through excavation, we created, they say it takes up four rye of the property, which is about a little over an acre and a half. So it's almost a regulation, it's probably a regulation size soccer field right now. And uh, so that'll be the highlight of the property. We did launch our first youth camp there in January. Kids absolutely loved it. We had a couple hundred kids there. Uh, we didn't have the facilities. Uh, it does have some buildings, it has 10 buildings on it already. Uh, and but not enough to house hundreds of people. So the kids were camping out in tents. They were all over the place. We had just a phenomenal time, and uh, just the peace and the blessing of God is on that property. And we're uh, we're well connected with churches, organizations, denominations all across Thailand. And we feel if we can open this property up. Uh, for not only our organization, but many Christian organizations that we can literally touch tens of thousands of lives uh, for the glory of now, yeah. now, what's your sense? A lot of people feel it's Thailand's day, that, that there's, there's things happening there. And uh, I mean, we're all optimistic and, you know, anticipation, but a lot of people feel there's this, this coming movement in Thailand. What's your sense of it, Charlie, with all the years you've spent there? Which coming movement are you talking well, about? Well, that right? people are coming to the Lord, churches are being planted, there's more of an interest or an awareness of the gospel or Christianity, maybe that wasn't there before. Do you sense any of that kind oh, of... It is dynamic right now, yes. Uh, the difference in Thailand today and Thailand 37 years ago when we landed there, uh, it's, a, it's, it's black compared to white. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, there were some very prominent people in the 90s that came to Christ, uh, some entertainers, some pretty high up officials. And, uh, and that was, I think, the beginning of the opening of the Thai people's hearts and minds to Christianity. Okay. Uh, my observation, the Asian financial crisis was the biggest door opener to the gospel in the nation of Thailand that has ever happened. Uh, because the people's, uh, I love the Thai people, 
but their faith and confidence in Buddhism was so shaken at that time when the Thai bot just basically disintegrated and started the domino <clears throat> effect around the nations of Southeast Asia. Business people were committing suicide. It was just, you know, they did not know how to handle it. And it was, it was like their, the thing that they based all of their trust on was shattered and their hearts and minds were open. And the gospel was there. Uh, I think first there was a rush towards materialism, but materialism is very empty. And uh, I, th this is my perception. I, I could be totally wrong. Uh -huh. Somebody might disagree with me, and that's no problem. But I saw that 1997 financial crisis mm -hmm. as the biggest door opener to the gospel <clears throat> ever. And now it's uh, there's a movement in Thailand. It's it's. It's good to be optimistic. It's good to be positive because it's it's exploding in a lot of places. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Mm. Now, Charlie, uh, how can people get in touch with you? I mean, we got the information on the coffee to order coffee, but how about for you? If any of the listeners. Our website, best thing is through our website. It's very simple, lwmi.org. That's just the initials for Living Word Ministries International, lwmi.org. Uh, you can contact us, got our info at lwmi.org as an email address. Uh, we monitor those. Uh, my daughter runs our office here in Tucson. I happen to be here right now. I head back to Thailand in a couple weeks here. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we live between Thailand and the U.S., uh, our son Jason runs the coffee business here in Tucson. Our son Jeremy's working with us over in Thailand, and and their wives and everything are involved in everything. But yeah, you can contact us through the website, and that pretty much tells you what we're doing. And uh, shoot us an email, and I I'm you know quick to get back to people. I'm not a hard guy to get hold of. Yeah, I mean it was amazing. Well, uh, on our trip, that would, Charlie was able to meet up with us and yeah. take us way up into the mountains. I mean, it was just like two and a half hours to get to the church and then two and a half hours. But, I mean, for my wife, Marie, and I, it was just incredible, Charlie. When Because you're thinking of all these different churches. Because right. I was used to village churches <clears throat> yeah. through my... Yeah. And these structures were amazing. And they go to like 24-7. They're like a community center as well as a spiritual yeah. center. So, Charlie, that the, maybe you can mention a little about ICM and how you're associated with ICM and how people can help fund those or w w what to do there in terms of how do they get these churches physically built. Yeah. Okay, John's talking about ICM. It's ICM.org, uh, and that stands for International Cooperating Ministries. We were introduced to ICM back in 2011. I met Bert Reed. Uh, my hero in life now. We've been friends now for, I guess, what's that, about 12 years now. And uh, an amazing man has just uh, been a, the major part of helping to build over 10,000 churches around the world Gee. in the last, last 35 years uh, through ICM. Uh, ICM helps uh, subsidize the churches that we, we plant and grow or, or build, excuse me. Uh, let me make a note, too. The very first church we built had 35 
after our evangelism efforts had 35 believers. Uh, today, that church has over 550. Wow. Uh, and Ooh. this is a story that has played out many times over many villages, many communities over and over. Uh, we've built 235 churches now. When I met ICM, I had built, or we had built about 100, 100 churches at that time. Uh, it was funny talking to Bert because first we talked on telephone, told him what we were doing. And, you know, the Bible says steps of a righteous man are ordered to the Lord. He does have a way of leading us and getting us in the right place at the right time. The day I called Bert, he's, he started laughing because I introduced myself. He says, Charlie, I just walked out of a meeting with our ICM committee, and our target nation is Thailand. <laughs> and we had just did, we'd never built a church in Thailand. We, our target nation is Thailand. And uh, he said, tell me what you're doing. And I told him, and he said, well, how much can you build a church for? And I told him, he's broke up laughing. And he said, that was the exact amount we had just agreed for fun. And then he asked me a question. He says, well, Charlie, sounds like you got it going. He says, can you build 20 churches at a time? I thought, who is this guy? Is this guy something? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I thought, you know, we, we really thought we were doing some stuff. We had three projects going to the top back then. And, uh, but uh, Bert really tickled me. And I said, well, brother, I don't know if we can build 20 at a time, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> you know? 20? But, uh, you know, we usually have at least a dozen projects wow. going at a time right now. So we have, we're growing. We're not quite up to 20 at a time. But, uh, you know, I, I like to get around people that think bigger than I do because they always expand you and they pull you up where you, where you need to be. Wow. But I see a wonderful organization. They, they want, their goal is to put a, a viable church, a good, strong church, in walking distance to every person on the planet. And, uh, and they're already, we're probably up around 11,000 by now. Last time I checked, it was 10,000. But they're, they're moving, <clears throat> I think they're in different nations around the world. Uh, we are some of their global partners, their international partners in the nation of Thailand. Uh, we've also, some of my graduates have helped them build churches in uh, Burma, Myanmar, uh, China, Laos. And uh, so it's, they understand the brick and mortar value, which so many people have missed these days. Uh, you know, with everything going electronic and everything, every, well, we just don't need the brick and mortar anymore. But in the nation of Thailand, being there, this is our 37th year now, the absolute most powerful form of evangelism is to get a church built. Yeah. Uh, I see it over and over again. Once that building goes up, uh, it just, it will grow. And it is the most, you know, we've done evangelism meetings, we've done Big meetings with famous ministers come in, and uh, but there's nothing lasting like a local church that is birthed and able to grow and be there for a community, and uh, so it's a powerful, powerful movement of uh, getting churches built and allowing these churches to grow and develop. And uh, it's, I've just you know, it's yeah. We, <laughs> It just, our vision fit together with ICM. They partnered with us. They've helped us to get our church building program on steroids and just, you know, we're just touching communities that we could have never touched before. That's what we so saw. People, yeah, I'm sorry. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I was telling you, David, when yeah. I came home, it was 
it was just amazing to see, and then the, to see the the national pastors, yeah, and how as Charlie says, they're using these like women's meetings during the week, mm. compassion care for children that need food. Then there's the regular church services and midweek service, and it, the the little physical structure is necessary because it becomes a, that point in yes, the community right, where they right. can point to, and saying, mm-hmm. and a lot of the building, <laughs> as well as the finances, is the sweat equity that the believers put into it for that ownership yeah, part of things. Yeah. It's amazing, Charlie. It, it was amazing. just amazing. And what a yeah, story we, with yeah. the turnaround with that town. I mean, what, what a testimony that was, Charlie. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. Oh, the field of evil it, spirits. Yeah. Did, did the news folks come back to show the difference? And how long did that transformation uh, no, take? No, they, they don't like good news. This channel. <laughs> oh, wow. This channel is all about good news, Charlie. <laughs> and let me, if we have time, I have a short story. Okay, good, good. Yeah. We had a, uh, we've been building these churches all over the place. Mm-hmm. We had a group of monks come up from Bangkok, and they're walking through the Mejam district, and they were up hill after hill, mountain after mountain, and one of my evangelists seen them on the road, so he stopped and talked to them. I, I like to talk to monks. Yeah. I've, I've, they invited me to come speak at their temples and stuff, and, uh, you know, they're, they're interesting people. Uh, but anyhow, our, my evangelist stopped and said, what, what are you guys doing? He said, oh, we've come up from Bangkok. We're looking for some places we can uh, build some temples, but every mountain we go up to, they got one of these little white churches up here, and we're heading back to Bangkok because it looks like they don't need no Buddhist temples here. They got them all covered already. That's funny. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) Well, Charlie, we only have a couple of minutes left. I want to give out that contact information one more time, too, on the, on the air. Yeah, go ahead, Charlie. And anything you want to share, Charlie, I appreciate you. I know you're a busy man, Charlie, and you're getting ready to head back to, to Thailand. But uh, once again, for my visit there, it was a blessing. I mean, it was really a blessing. It was a big, big eye-opener. And I'll just share that with David Burns tomorrow. But God, God bless you and your family and the staff you have there. I mean, all of this starts with a, a man finds a little cross on the side of the highway. Unbelievable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it, and it got fastened to your keychain. I mean, that's an incredible story. <laughs> I mean, it's like... A, it, it, it's, okay, it got me. And so, wow. Yeah, the Bible says his workmanship created in Christ Jesus uh, under good works that God before ordained that we should walk in them. He knows what he made us for. Mm-hmm. We just have to get into the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal his Amen. plan and purpose in our lives. Amen. Right, right. Yep. Amen. Well, God bless you, Charlie. We only have a minute or two. Do you have anything while you want to say? Once again, this is WNZN Radio 89.1 FM from Lorain, Ohio. And again, thank you for tuning in. You've heard an incredible story. We promised you these different interviews, literally from around the world, mm-hmm. right, David? Yes. And Charlie Melbrook. Uh, somebody I met in Southeast Asia in Thailand, incredible testimony, and to see the work going on there today and how God has blessed him and his family and the, yeah. the tribal as well as the Thai uh, leadership there is just amazing. And um, be sure, uh, once again, to maybe uh, say the uh, to order the coffee and then also to get in touch with you. Uh, we're going to wrap things up then, Charlie. It's uh, My Thai Coffee, M-A-I-T-H-A-I Coffee.com for the coffee orders. Uh, the ministry is LWMI.org. And I do just in closing want to thank John and Marie, Martha, 
they were missionaries in Thailand for many years. And the body of Christ is so multifaceted. It takes each and every one of us to get the job done. What an honor to be associated with you folks, to be a part of what you're doing here today and you being a part of what we're doing. And uh, that's just how God's putting his body together and uh, Jesus is being glorified in the earth. So Amen. thank you, John, for what you do, David, uh, the amazing testimony you have. And uh, it's just wonderful to meet God's family. Yeah, same here, Charlie. Thank God you. bless you for all the great work you and your team are doing. God bless you, Charlie. I hope to see you in Thailand. Or if you ever get up in the Buckeye country up in Northeast Ohio, uh, give us an advance call. And we'll get you on the radio uh, live. But we also get some of fishing. I might be up there real quick. All right. God bless you. God bless you, Charlie. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.